0: hello everybody welcome to another episode of the mark groves podcast so as part of my ongoing love affair with organifi i have been trying all their products and i have now made part of my morning routine their green juice And if you don't know what their green juice is, it's essentially like a superfood orgy of, (laughs) I don't know if there's another, there's probably another way to say it, but I don't want to say it another way because that tells you what's happening. Moringa, chlorella, mint, spirulina, beetroot, matcha green tea, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, lemon juice, coconut water, all getting in each other's business so they can bring the power of those superfoods to your body. So if this sounds like something that you're like, yo, I want to make that part of my morning routine, especially because, you know, when you drink green juice sometimes and you're like, oh, that tastes like lawnmower shavings with water. This tastes so good. So if that sounds like something, you're like, yo, I want some of that. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love and you get a discount. A O R G A N I F I dot com slash create the love. You get 20% off. I, my man here who I got with me today is one of my favorite people. One of my, I, can I call you a best friend? I feel like I of get course. to call you a best yeah. friend. Perfect. Please. If you said no, that would have been the awkward beginning of a podcast. I just want to point that out. Um. So Louis Aloro, I met watching him give a stellar presentation, keynote at the Canadian Positive Psychology Conference. Gosh, what is that? Seven years ago? Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember I went up to him after, maybe this wasn't right after, but as soon as I met you, I was like, we're going to be best friends. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> and then I remember saying to you not long after, like, why aren't you famous? Like, are you famous? And I just don't know yet. And you have so many beautiful things to say. The way you articulate things is like art, it's like music, it's like poetry. And I love you. And so thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you, Mark. My, one of my best friends. I think, I think it's good to have lots of best friends, you know, in a discerning way, of course. I mean, we were fast friends from that moment seven we, years ago.
0: Seven years. My gosh. Time flies when you're having a ball.
1: It does. What do they say? The days are long. The years are short.
0: That does feel that way. That's true. Especially right now, I'm certain that both days, months, weeks, all of them feel like fucking molasses.
1: I know. I love that meme that says day, 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 <laughs> day, day.
0: <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. And is, you know, in the context, because tell people a little bit about what you do, because you have such an evolution of both your education and your work. So I would love for people to hear about. Yeah all of those things. So they're like, holy shit, this guy fucking does a lot of stuff.
1: Well, I do stuff. I do positive change stuff. That's my, that's my area. Um, I had a student recently say, taking your class is like learning a foreign language in a native country. Oh, that's awesome. So that's what I do. I, I teach people how to think differently, which involves new words and new ways of expressing what it means to have a good full and well life so in studying positive psychology i kind of have a an umbrella catch-all for lots of different components of what that involves
0: so you previously were a teacher right
1: i still am
0: no sorry sorry a teacher in school right you used to be a, a school teacher
1: Yes, I taught if you could believe it uh, secondary English literature
0: literature I believe that so you were doing that and you went you did your masters of education and then you went and did your masters of applied positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania and then you continued to receive more education continuously.
1: well, I always say that the learning human nature and behavior is never done
0: no, it isn't.
1: So, yeah, teaching and learning, they're both important to me.
0: One, I remember when we were doing some work together with your um, social and emotional leadership programs that you had to and continue to have, that we, I remember you saying to me that words create worlds, that the, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure anyone listening is like, I've heard you say that. And that's true. Because I remember arguing with you at the time about it, not actually agreeing with you and you being pretty adamant about that being a truth and me being pretty adamant about it not being. And then I want to, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I don't think I've actually said I totally was wrong. (laughs) So (laughs) I haven't said that many times in my life, but I will say that I 100% agree that the words that come out of your mouth are a very great story of how you see the world and how you see yourself and that the words you use really because they're one of our, they're our only oratory form of expression. And so when I hear someone speak, I can find out so much information about them, how they see the world. So I, Mm -hmm. I concede (laughs)
1: well it's nice that we have such psychological safety it's okay to be wrong in our friendship so I appreciate that and you know what I learned that from one of my teachers and so the fact that you use it you know I think is great and and just cause to say that no one owns an idea and that you know, we like, I feel like that's part of this learning journey for me anyways, like picking up pieces here and there and putting together the tapestry where, you know, you get to the point where you're like, oh, I don't even remember where I learned that, but it's, yeah. it's so true to my core that it's, it's my truth, you know, and I can own it and you can own it. Just like we could have many best friends. We can yeah. own many truths.
0: I've definitely noticed that like when someone asked me like, where did you learn about relationships? I'm like, holy fuck everywhere. <laughs> like from sales experience of having thousands and thousands of conversations that required me to build rapport within seconds to uh reading so many books to spirituality to you know like really relationship you know you and I have taught a course together on emotional intelligence and emotional agility, and mm-hmm. i I remember you saying like we're we're never not in relationship to something like we're everything is a relationship in a. What I love about being able to do this work in this podcast and someone like yourself uh, is that we get to look at the way we relate and our, let's call them dysfunctions or challenges uh, in how we relate to so many things. And I know that your area of, like, you have so many areas of mastery. That's what I love about you, is you're so curious. Um, but the area of change, and we're certainly in that area right now. And so, what is it about change that? is so challenging for people.
1: <laughs> that it's never done, you know, it's it's continuous fluctuation which is all life. Um so within our bodies as a system, you know, to the human social systems we occupy from our families to our friend networks to the overlap between the two of those things to you know what happens at work and And what happens between organizations, the list goes on and on. But the idea being that there's always fluctuation within me and between us in the interconnectivity of our lives. And so that's just the way it is. Everything is always changing.
0: Do you think that in the context of what's being experienced in the world right now, it has because what you're saying is that change is always occurring like whether you're acknowledging that or being open to that or feeling all of that, that's always occurring. What's going on in our world currently is making that truth explicit.
1: Oh yeah. The quarantine is, is shedding light on, or the virus is shedding light on, on, um, <laughs> on the dysfunction of the system really. I mean, the quarantine is sh- is showing light on uh, shedding light on the, Um, on really the true colors of our, of our, of that interconnectivity, just how interconnected we are and the disruption of the, of the virus is chaotic, right? It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a big disruption. It's kind of like an earthquake. I describe it as an earthquake that the whole world is feeling, you know, and there's the shock and then there's the aftershocks and then there's the uncertainty of when the next aftershock will come. That causes a whole lot of stress for people. And while acute stress is fine in our lives, in fact, it's helpful, uh, chronic stress is not. So that's where I, I tend to, I don't even wanna say worry because words create worlds. That's where I tend to kind of um, set <laughs> positive intentions, you know, that, that people have positive coping strategies to navigate the struggle, because really it's about both. Life is about thriving and struggle.
0: Yeah, and you can't have one, you know, the the struggling in and of itself is what births and can be thriving at the same time, you know, like, when I've been through what is seemingly challenging times, there's a thriving that occurs within it, the sort of the energetics of the struggle is what fuels the transformation. And I think about what you said in the context of the chaos and the uncertainty and, uh, and the worry, you know, the words create worlds, the worry of what is how will we cope and i i really i don't know how we cannot be on some edge of uh mental health uh challenges for some time to come which i don't want to say is um because it, it's almost like things that we've needed to formulate and work out and acknowledge emotions like fear anger sadness uncertainty that this is sort of bringing them out for us
1: um, hey mark but they were there they were there well before this virus. You know, that's the thing. The virus is shining a light on it. But I have some statistics right here. I was just pulling this morning. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the US. This is according to the Center for Disease Control. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among uh, people aged 10 to 34. Wow. And there are more than twice as many suicides in one year than there are homicides.
0: Wow. And I'd imagine we're going to see a massive spike in that number uh, due to social isolation because uh, isolation in and of itself is equivalent to what smoking, I believe it's a pack, 15 cigarettes a day.
1: Well, just that um, loneliness being loneliness. a mismatch mismatch between the connection you crave and the connection you have, that's what loneliness is, yeah, is a predictor greater than than even cigarette smoking for morbidity, right? That I was just reading a study the other day that showed neural craving similar to when you're hungry as when you're lonely, except when you're lonely, there's no cabinet or refrigerator to open to feed that hunger. And often when we're lonely, we're depressed. And when we're depressed, we're insular. And when we're insular, we're not reaching out. And when we're lonely, that's when we need to be reaching out. So yeah, there's a, there's a, um, a sense that loneliness or you know, you say social isolation. It's really not social isolation. It's physical distancing that we need, and um, at the Change Lab, uh, one of my affiliations, we're working right now to change the language from from uh, social distancing to physical distancing because physical distancing uh, sends the right words to describe what we mean. We need social connection. We need social connection. Social connection mm-hmm. will will increase our immune function we need to be doing everything we can to be to be strong and healthy right now and at the top of the list is the quality of one's relationships to do that
0: yeah we don't really recognize the impact that i had the same thought on the use of words social isolation social distancing where I was like, no, it can, be, it can be seen as an empowered choice. It can be seen as a choice rather than, I think when it comes from this state of authority or law, then we feel like we're reacting to it rather than being responsible for it. You know, like I'm being told what to do rather than choosing what to do.
1: Nobody <laughs> likes to be told what to do, Mark.
0: No. And then we both, you know, I feel like a toddler when I'm told what to do, because then I want to go fucking stamp my feet and hug everybody, you know, Um, which, hey, I get it. I'm a high risk friend if that is what's occurring. But in that also really what I find interesting about this time is how much we're policing each other to like ensure that. And I, I would imagine that comes from some need for certainty, some need to take the emotion, the fear, even the loneliness that I don't get. To hug other people, why should you get to be around other people? I'm doing this for the good of our society. What are you doing? You know, I see a lot of that kind of language.
1: Well, there's a lot of shaming going on, right? Like you're not doing it good enough and I'm doing it better. And I actually ran into my mindfulness teacher, a mindfulness teacher over at the, the local food, uh, local food stand, farm stand a couple of weeks ago. And the first thing she said to me is, Where's your mask? <laughs> 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 and I was like. Wow, darn. Like I'm I we're outside and I'm six feet away from you. And 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 like you're saying, let's I I wish we can have more of a world where we could trust people to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, and I also think what's fascinating about let's just say specifically that comment. I think in California it is legally, do you have to have a mask when you go out? No. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to see if that was true. So When I was watching some physicians speak, the WHO formally didn't recommend masks because they are not very good at prevention in the context of some of the information they were sharing. But what's interesting, I was listening to some physicians speak and they were speaking without masks on. And they said, we're not wearing masks now because we know how microbes spread. We know how this occurs. We're not worried right now. This actually improves our immune function. And I'm sure someone listening is like, that's not true or this, is, but that's the whole, whole point is we have a hard time taking in information that conflicts with information that we are militant about. And I know you've, I, for sure, everyone who's listening, who's listened to my podcast before has heard me say, my friend Luis Alaro said <laughs> that we should always live as if one of the five core pillars of our identity is dead wrong. And it's usually the one we cling to most. Is that right? Did I get that right?
1: Of our belief systems, which really does form our identity. Yeah. So like when you think about how you think, and that's really my world as a psychologist, right, is is understanding human cognition, realizing that cognition is not just in our heads, you know, that our brains and neural networks span our hearts in, in, in a huge way and in our guts in another way. It's just it's an integrated kind of experience we have and how we think, but certainly um, patterns of thought are, are uh, you know, often uninterrupted. And some of them are getting in the way of us actually creating the change we want. And and that first one I mentioned that, you know, change is constant. It's not something that you arrive at. It's not something that you do in in a management, you know, HR function when we're doing change management. No, we're living in a world that's constantly changing. That's just the way it's always been. It's changing seemingly faster these days than ever before. And um, I just read a great book called Scale. By Jeffrey West, that's talking about why that is, um, especially when you look at like the density in cities and, and the mass urbanization that's happening around the world for new cities popping up daily. Right, is that you need a faster um, a faster innovation to occur for the city to to continue withstanding at the pace that it's already going, which means that it's constantly increasing. So like one of the statistics is that um, on average, people are walking 15% faster in the city than, than they are outside the city. Um, innovation is happening faster, but things like crime are happening at, at an increased rate too. So it's not, you know, like when you are going at that pace, you need to keep up with that pace. And eventually there's a finite time allocation. You can't, you know, eventually the amount of resources you have energetically will not match the resources available, the, the resources you need. I'm sorry, the resources you have will not match the resources you need. And that's internally for, for us biologically, but also for our social systems as well, right? You see that happening all over the world where, you know, you know, people not having fresh water or enough food or some of those basic needs that we all have as humans.
0: So in, in the context of that is that the like this continued over functioning, this continued over because uh, one thing I've noticed and heard a lot from people currently who are in this uh, you know, the world has seemingly come to some form of stop other than these first responders, grocery store people, all these people who are doing essential services, which I'm so we're all so grateful for. other than those, a lot of people that I've spoken to and heard speak are saying like, whoa, it's amazing how much I was doing that was too much. Now that mm-hmm. I'm not doing, now that I'm not allowed to do, I'm like, mm-hmm. ooh, I'm, I get to be. And that's, mm-hmm. our society rewards so much performance and capitalism rewards performance, which I'm not even making capitalism bad, but there is very much this like, you are what you create, you are what you provide, you are what what your mm-hmm. job is.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's part of the old paradigm of, of a very mechanistic view. Sometimes it's called Tayloristic because it's attributed to, um, to the um, industrial industrialization of the world. So that being the last era, industrialization, now we're in this urbanization era, but that kind of pattern of thinking that it's A causes B, like do this and get that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time to make the donuts kind of thing you know yeah. just kind of on autopilot yeah, I agree with you the permission to pause right now in the world is something that you know from a spiritual standpoint is is timely right We need to to, to pause and reflect and I know for me personally like I'm going through a breakup for example because yeah. in the reflection I just I've come to remember my own truth which is, that wasn't working for me anyway that previous version of quote normal did not satisfy my my full fully my needs and so it's kind of like a disruption is such a great time a disruption has happened like you know we're about to celebrate not celebrate honor the anniversary of my brother's suicide you know which happened 40 years ago or 30 35 years ago and it's And it's still, the anniversary comes every day on May 5th, but that was a a disruption in life that makes you question your paradigms, your thoughts, your beliefs, right? It's like when the world becomes senseless, you really have to make sense of it. And that's what our cognition does. It, It gives us the ability to make sense of the senseless. It's just that we've, you know, we have to do the work to kind of uncover and be open to those words you mentioned earlier, which is live your life with the understanding that at least one of the core pillars of your major belief systems, usually the one you cling to most fiercely, is dead wrong. It's Hard for us humans to do.
0: Well, I think about making sense of the world when the world is seemingly senseless. I think about that space when relationships end, when people pass, when we have health scares, when we are in financial ruin, when COVID, right? I think about how it's hard for our mind to make sense of that, right? Like there's almost like a space between normalcy, what was before said event, and then trying (laughs) so hard to formulate an intellectual understanding of what is emotional and really learn to let go of control of what is outside of your control. And that, I mean, that's ultimately change, right? It's all forms of change, but some forms of change are fucking hard and take you to your knees, you know? And how does one in those, cause to me it feels like there's a transition period that is between I understand the world which is really just a misconception. <laughs> but I feel safe and I understand the world to, holy fuck, the world doesn't work the way I thought. Again, fra- shattered belief that I cling to, which could be my belief systems about religion, the world. Gosh, if you pay attention and all of a sudden you're like, wait, this world operates like a patriarchy. Wait, I am I am the way I am because of I was taught how to be a male and this is what that means, masculinity or sexuality or whatever it is the moment you actually realize because the universe delivers you a nice nudge from the outside that that might not be true there is a point where it's terrifying and i know that point i know that space between where you're like holy fuck this is this world is a mind fuck to try to conceptualize and understand so how do you take a human who's in that delicate of a framework and make it make sense <laughs>
1: Well, I think you'd have to surrender to it not fully making sense. I mean, yeah. that is that 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 kind of concept of surrender is one mm. of my most favorite ones because it's it's letting go of the need to control your circumstances all the time. You can control how you show up to your circumstances. Like we're all showing up to this this pandemic right now, but the pandemic is such a great reminder that you can't control. Yeah. Everything, right? So the people who are having the hardest times right now, I think, are people who have lived their lives with those such tight reins of control. You know, I know some of these people and they're quite successful in, in their in their own right, right? They're people who, because of that control, they've been able to climb that ladder and be successful in in quote unquote, what success looks like, right? Managing teams and, and, and putting out projects and being famous, as you say, in some ways. But some of those folks are struggling the most right now because as my friend Eleanor reminds us, there's no controlling a pandemic.
0: Mm. <laughs> I love that you said surrender because it made me think of something I heard uh, the spiritual teacher, Gankaji, say, which is that the mind can never understand something that it was created within. Like (laughs) it's only capable of understanding what it is created from, which is within this 3d experience. And there was a bit of like uh, freedom to that thought when I heard it, because all of a sudden I thought, ironically, I thought, uh, I don't have to try to anymore. Like there, I was, I actually still continue to and I have to catch myself, um, try to organize and systemize everything to understand it to to pattern it to to make it make sense not realizing that the very things that are the most challenging will never make sense like yeah. uh, the reality of being a human that we are mortal that we come on this planet we're born through the portal which is the feminine and uh, a woman and then we and then we've experienced love and connection and systems and family and community and then we're gone and that in and of itself is either the most beautiful story or a sad story. And it, I experience that sometimes, this idea of like, "I'm going to miss this when it's over."
1: Mm. Well, it's a sad story when you're in a suffering state. Yeah. And you're in a suffering state when you are um, when you victimize your own self in it, when you forget your own agency something that really helps me mark is to to believe to think to to know that everything is in divine order Mm -hmm. so there's no corralling a light you know lightning rod there's there's it's just the way that it is it's it's that's the surrender it's like wow yeah how amazing that i can i can appreciate nature and i am part nature right so this I think one of the things the pandemic is also doing is helping us explore our own ecosystems, literally, right? Our bodies, our health, our functioning, our, our, our well-being that extends then to our homes and to our, um, you know, my heart goes out to the folks that are in really hard home situations mm-hmm. and, and are, are, are have to be home. Right, people that are being um, abused or neglected, right? So we have to we have to clean that that stuff up. I think that's the personal responsibility right now is to like get into our own gardens a little bit and and really cultivate cultivate um, and and nourish the garden. Literally, if you're if you have a patch of land outside <laughs> your house. Uh, and I know a lot of people are doing that, right? There, you you see the numbers going up in people who are who are doing some home agriculture, which is great. But also metaphorically, it's like, you know, how can I evaluate my life the way things were? And then, as we are in this in this in it right now, in the thick of it, we could get ahead of it a little bit just by um, thinking, hey, what do we want life to look like on the other side of this? Mm -hmm. You know, and and while worry is a misuse of our imaginations, hope and optimism is a great use of our imaginations to really think, um, you know, how do I want things to look and feel differently as we move past the chaos, right? Because all systems fluctuate, we're not going to sit at this chaos forever, I hope right? That like we're, we're at the edge of chaos at the edge of chaos is a really great place to think about the contrast, what things were like then, what do I want things to be like in the future? And how do I, how do I take the best of what was as a springboard into what I want next? And I think organizations are really primed right now to do that work. You know, I, I facilitate that work in the world, um, for, for organizations, for communities, for teams. Um, And it's there's no shortage of that kind of work right
0: now. No, there isn't. And to be reminded that we are in this moment as we make choices and how we show up for ourselves and self care, of course, being so important. How all of those things are actually creating your future in each moment. That you know, Mm I I always like to remind people, as I remind myself, that no choice of is free of the um, letting go of an alternate choice. Like every Mm -hmm. choice has a cost. And Mm -hmm. those can be good things and those can be bad things, but you always trade something for another. Mm -hmm. That's how systems work.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's in, it's in the data collection, right? We're always kind of, you know, acquiring bits of information, bits of data that we're processing and, and making meaning of. And, and yeah, with that information, we can, we can feed forward, right? That's Mm -hmm. what, that's what, you know, we could, we could use it as, again, that springboard into, into what's next. So instead of asking why things are the way that they are, I think this question trips us up sometimes because we live in a, in a positivist, it's called the positivist perspective and philosophy, which is let's reduce everything down to a reason, you know, and, there's no one reason why things are the way that they are right now, right? Everyone's at fault and no one is to blame, I say. Like, there's lots of reasons why we're at this, at this inflection point. Yet, the question of what next is a much, much more useful question. Not why are things the way that they are, but what do we want next? And that's something that individuals can do and explore and reflect and groups and teams can do as well.
0: When you do it in such a good job, even in friendship, you know, you'll. when we speak and you answer the phone and we begin speaking, uh, you phone, FaceTime, we always FaceTime. But when we do that, you always say what's good. And I love that. I remember you teaching me about that long ago. Instead of saying, how are you? Often the human mind goes to that sort of negativity bias or wanting to connect through suffering or what's going, which is not to dismiss the sharing of those things together. But I love that it's always framed in this, like, what's good? And my mind then has to uh, cultivate. It has to uh, go into the seeds within me and go, what is good right now? And now I'm thinking like, oh, what's good? Well, I'm talking to you. That's good. And I love that. It's it's amazing how we can teach our minds to look for what is positive and how that gratitude becomes this baseline, this baseline sense of well-being, even in uh, you know, because emotion, you can be bad in a moment that you find out bad news. You can be sad and angry and all those things. But well-being, I feel, is more of like this steady state. Um,
1: uh, uh, did I get I'm that wrong? Inter- yeah. Interrupt. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, well-being is fluctuating. You know, well-being is, and the way that we're measuring it now at the well-being lab is... is Oh, shit, you yeah, have a
0: well-being lab. I, yeah, I should ask you that part. <laughs>
1: to look at two different dimensions of... Thriving and struggle. Yeah. So you could measure someone's how good things are for someone, and you could measure at the same time how challenging things are for somebody because life is about that full range of human experience. So well being fluctuates. And when you ask someone what's good, it's a great starter. But I think right now in the world, it's also a good question to ask is, you know, where are you struggling? And and tell me what are your what are some of your fears just as a as a way for someone to articulate that when you name it, you can claim it, right? And then, you know, in that space, you could you could see what kinds of supports people need for the struggle. The struggle is real. Look, I'm going through it too. And I I have moments where I'm like, oh shit, this is like this <laughs> what's gonna happen? Like, you know, worry, worry creeps in. And at the same time, I have the awareness that I can choose to to sit in that and and wallow and catastrophize and and you know spiral. Or I could choose to say, yes, that's true. And at the same time, I can hold I can hold a space for what I deeply desire, what I want, what what would make me fulfilled in my life. And I can trust and have faith that that's possible right and the universe hears what we mean not what we say so when Mm. we're just going through the motions yeah that's inauthentic right
0: yeah we're not operating in a we're not fully present we're not fully present when we're operating from a space of uh as you're saying an inauthenticity
1: yeah, we're not in the eternal now, is how I've been reading about it lately. In the eternal, like we're either stuck in the past or we're we're stuck in the future. But being in the eternal now is like surrendering to all of the circumstances and just kind of letting go to let come.
0: Yeah, I remember. Which is like, you, so. Yeah,
1: I was just gonna say that's a process of kind of tapping into our senses and really getting into our bodies and using that sixth sense.
0: Yeah. That. We trust ourselves again. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing someone speak saying that, let the past be yesterday's news and let the future come be here now. You know, that is a, a great reminder because it's easy to ruminate and catastrophize because certainly I remember someone the other day said to me like, there won't be any more sporting events ever. And I was like, fuck that. I get mad, you know, because I think about all the joyous times I've had with friends at concerts. And I'm like, they, there's such a grief in the possibility that that might be true. And I also get angry because I feel like it's a giant overreaction from the world. Like that part makes me feel, I feel like the emotion that comes up for me, I'm just going to clear for a second here, <laughs> is I feel like because we don't fully educate ourselves on all the areas of an experience um, that we often, like, just accept what we're told. And maybe that comes back to I've been upset with myself when I accept what I've just been told, which was really how I lived the majority of the first part of my life was be who I thought I needed to be, believe what I was told to believe, and ignore valuable information that was conflicting with those truths. And I see that now in this experience of what we're with the information we're seeing as valid, and the information we're invalidating because it doesn't—it's not convenient with our belief—which I'm open to the possibility that I might be doing that too. So hey,
1: well, yeah, I think we are. You know, I like the idea that truth is what feels good. That there is so much information, I'm overwhelmed by it. I know people are dizzied by the the amount of information, disinformation, even like right, like there's what's happening. You know, the fat, quote unquote facts, but then there's also the the tools and strategies for navigating this in an effective way, you know, professionally, personally. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of stuff coming at us. And so I think clearing through that clutter and just kind of sinking in with with myself and trusting that I have within me what I need in order to know how to struggle well. Like I, resilience is in my bones, resilience is in our ancestral DNA. We are nothing if not resilient and adaptable. We got this. No matter what it is, we got this. Truth. Now, with that said, <laughs> let's get out of our own way a little bit. Let's get out of our own ego, our own self obsession, and and see, you know, how we can be of service with others.
0: So, in the because you just uh, launched a new uh, program, right?
1: Lots of new programs this year, actually. Um, but yeah, I have, I have two two programs right now in the world. One is the Certificate in Creating well being, which is an applied positive psychology program uh, that is about six months long. Uh, and For we, everyone
0: listening, I have done an applied positive psychology program. The one I did was with Louis Laro, and he is a fucking phenomenal teacher. It was such a great contribution to a vast array of knowledge that I just fucking loved because it's all about like what makes great people great. What makes thriving humans thrive? How do we get from struggle to all that? And you're just an incredible teacher. So I have to be a live testimonial for your course because fuck, I loved it and I love you and your work comes from your heart. And I, uh, that is my favorite thing about you.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's my, it's my, passion, purpose, calling, you know, vocation. So it's just, it is who I am and I love doing it. And, and, and it draws such amazing human beings like yourselves and one next to the other, next to the other. It's just in that shared co-created experience, um, learning about human well-being and, and change and systems change. And, um, the other program we have is the certificate in creating positive change, which is alongside the well-being program, it complements it because it it gives change agents and champions some of the the tools to navigate the rugged and smooth terrain that we face with change and learning about how do we change the conversation about change really is what we do in that program. We teach all sorts of change tools, but especially we get under the hood with appreciative inquiry, which which is a positive approach to organizational and community development, which is amazing and and so those two programs actually together are what we're, we're bundling for organizations, uh, for companies, for campuses, for schools, uh, for communities or cities to send a group of stakeholders through simultaneously from the same system. So it really provides a level of leadership development, community development, organizational development, interorganizational development, Economic development. I can keep going on and on, but it's- Development, 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 development. Development, development. day, day, day. Day, day. (laughs) Well,
0: in that, I love the framework of your work because your positive psychology um, program, the one that you did with social and emotional leadership, taking like these, what happens if we go into a community and we teach the community these things? Will it ripple out? Will this like, because we know that things like positive emotion are contagious, smoking's contagious, divorce is contagious, behaviors are contagious, and they're viral in some sense and how they spread, mm-hmm. um, which I think when we hear virus, we hear bad, we hear fear, we hear, and especially right now. So it's so beautiful to know that if we change ourselves, if can an individual sign up for either of those courses without an organization?
1: The positive change course, yes, we have that all online right now. We're actually just um, completing our first cohort of the well-being program. And so we're, we're talking now about how we, we position that next. But um, right now it's for communities to, to contact us or organizations and, and talk about how we would set up a cohort within that space. We don't have an open enrollment for the well-being right now, but that could change in the future because it is really our vision is that it's a train the trainer program so that you know, this group, you know, this, this group of 50 people in this community go through this program together, and then they can bring it into all other facets of that same community, or even within that organization to, to help, um, you know, empower people to really empower other people, which is really the idea.
0: So as we're going through this uh, explicit, very explicit version of change and chaos, what are some tools that people can use right now that are sort of the cornerstone to uh, or the anchor to our transformation?
1: Well, eating, moving, and sleeping are, are foundational, right? So just making sure that nutrition and exercise and sleep are, are good. <laughs> um, and people struggle with these things, right? So it's first and foundational. I mean, in tandem, you can be doing some other things, but really until those are in place, the keystone habits, we call them, then, then everything else is gonna feel off. Um, of course, there's increasing social connection, right? And so we have a a petition that we could send out through your folks. Um, We have a toolbox that we're creating for people to um, have strategies for increasing social connection, even through physical distance. So really attending to our relationships. And you do, I do hear anecdotally people like connecting with people they haven't seen or spoken to in a while and using the FaceTime and and Zoom, which we've known for a long time really is the way to go to see people and to create a bit of positivity resonance, anything we can be doing really to elicit joy and positive emotion and, um, anything that really helps us feel good in a sober way. Let's attend to those things. Um, we have dance parties in the kitchen here a lot. We, um, you know, we're, we're meditating a lot where I have my art stuff out. I'm doing a lot of painting, you know, just stuff that really um, makes you feel good. You know, if you haven't thought about what your hobbies are in a while, um, get into that because (laughs) really we need to be full human beings, whole integral. And so we're not just automatrons going to work and, making the donuts, we really need to be full human beings. So get in the garden, you know, take that bike ride, even if you haven't done it in 20 years, like just get out there and start moving. Um, They say that movement sometimes precedes motivation.
0: Mm. Yeah, that the doing causes the being. That's a, I agree with that because that's the same idea that self-worth requires choices that make deposits in self-worth, but you don't get the self-worth before you make the first deposit. And so it requires this leap of a behavior change like any form of change. There's always the first choice that is a difference, a breaking of a neural pathway, a breaking of a habit, a breaking of a ritual. Uh, I'm noticing that for me right now, if I'm waking up, prioritizing meditation, prioritizing breath work, making my coffee (laughs) that's a meditative thing for me and then feeding my dog taking my dog for a walk you know these rituals keep me grounded and when they're off a little bit especially exercise i am grumbly Uh, especially nutrition i could feel that too uh it's interesting because if any of those are kind of out of whack all of them become out of whack yeah that's why you taught me
1: that mark when you dial down one part of your life you dial down all the others at the same time
0: that's right no fucking playing small that's right. You go to 80% somewhere, you go to 80% everywhere. It's not an option.
1: Well, you know, and it's two step forward, one step back. It's part of human nature is to give ourselves that permission to be human and to, yeah. to not always have to live that value. You know, sometimes, yeah. you know, sometimes we're, we're not living it. And it's in the realization that we're not living it, that we, that we give ourselves that permission. And what does my tea bag say here? The, the gate to happiness is self compassion.
0: And what do you say? Duh. yeah, of course it is. Duh. Uh, Duh. Great way to happiness is self-compassion. That's right. That space to allow yourself to be human, but to also not proactively and continuously live in a space where you let yourself off the hook from being your best self. Your best self is sometimes not your best choices, but it is the space to return back.
1: It is the space to turn back. I'm reminded, I I recently interviewed um, Scott Barry Kaufman, who wrote um, a new book on transcendence and self-actualization. He he unearthed some of um, Abraham Maslow's unfinished life work, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And he he says you don't have to choose between self-development and self-sacrifice.
0: You don't have to choose between them. You would think that self-development, oh yeah, you don't have to choose between self-sacrifice. They are the same thing.
1: No, I mean they could exist simultaneously. Yeah. You know, like we can. We're all sacrificing right now. A lot of people are in grief. A lot of people are processing pain and struggle and hardship and and sadness and loss of jobs and loss of graduations and loss of, you know, everything oh, that so was familiar. Things. But in that in that struggle in that in that moment of suffering, like we we can be doing the self development work too. We don't have to wait to do that work when things go back to normal, because they're not going to go back to the way that they were. We're going to create a new normal. We're going to change.
0: Fucking expanded normal. Well, and that that idea that the self-sacrifice, the acceptance of the pain, the grief, all the loss, to me, that is self-development, that allowing yourself the space for all your feelings. It's interesting to me that when we we think that we're more connected or developing if we're experiencing positive emotion, not recognizing that the grief or the loss of who we were as we do self-development in and of itself is uh, being connected and growing. You know, like it's a really weird, because we've been taught a lot by society to fear negative emotion or to believe that there's something wrong with us or that it should be avoided, that we don't see that it's actually the plethora and the deliciousness of the full human experience. And I mean, mm. gosh, we've, um, you know, I, I love that in the space of our friendship, there's always space for all of those things. And you and I have both been through uh, a few relationships in our experience of each other's friendship. We've been in other relationships that have ended. And um, I've always loved that there's always this mirror of compassion from you. And I think because you've held, a lot of change and suffering in your own experience of your life, that you really hold a very non judgmental, loving space for others. And I love that you've turned and continued to turn it into your work so that everyone can experience what you really um, sought to learn yourself.
1: Mm, thanks, Mark. It's been great to talk to you. I love you. I love you, my best friend.
0: My best friend. Um, <laughs> I want everyone to find you. Not like in that, don't ever leave me. I'll find you. But in the like, hey, I love what this guy said. Where can I find more about Lewis Olaro, A L L O R O.
1: dot com dot
0: com.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a, a new download on there right now. Um, five groundbreaking truths every change agent needs to know. Every change champion, anyone interested in change needs to know. So so download that um, and you could find me at the change lab, the wellbeing lab, but some of my partners over there just playing on the positive psychology playground on Facebook is another place to find me. And yeah, we're all in this together, brother. And so now, now's our time. What does Marianne Williamson say? Lovers le- need to love as much as haters like to hate.
0: Mm, fuck yeah, love wins. Love on. Brother, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you. And thank you for sharing your knowledge. And I look forward to debating, thriving, and suffering and well-being another time. (laughs) Or (laughs) just
1: having fun. (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. (laughs) Um, So
0: everyone can find you. know where to go to lewislauro.com. Go pick up this new download that he has. And we're all change agents, so it's applicable for all of us. Love you, Mm -hmm. brother. Thanks for being here. Love you, too.
1: See ya.